0: Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. We continue with season eight, where we are focusing on films based on books. And for today's episode, I bring you the Oscar-winning film of 2014, the film based on a story by Solomon Northup From the same name. I introduce you to the Steve McQueen's *12 Years a Slave*. Directed by Steve McQueen and based on a book by Solomon Northcup. The film stars Chiwetel Ejiofor, Lupita Nyong, Michael Fassbender, Paul Dano, Benedict Cumberpatch, Paul Giamatti and Brad Pitt. Before I press on with the film, I just want to mention something that I've unfortunately mentioned to too many people who get confused about the name Steve McQueen. The man from Bullet or Great Escape did not direct this film. The fact that I have been asked this is insulting since A, he died in 1980 due to a heart failure and B, because of how amazing a director and author Steve McQueen is, the man that actually directed 12 Years a Slave. Now, bearing they have the same name as a fellow legend in the same industry is maybe an honour, but not when it overclouds your name. Steve McQueen is a black British director. How you know how an Oscar-winning black director who is simply making a name for himself is one of the most successful, most watched directors of our generation. And in time, many will identify the name Steve McQueen of the guy who directed Hunger, Shame, and 12 Years a Slave, not the man that was in Bullet, The Great Escape, or Towering Inferno. One could say you could change your name, like Michael Douglas did when he found out Wall Street was a popular film that starred a guy called Michael Douglas, who actually ended up winning an Oscar for the film. Um, And then you just change your name last minute. So Michael Douglas changed his name to Michael Keaton and he made a name for himself like Batman and the list goes on. But it's your name, you stand by it and well, you work to solidify your name in the pages of history. And that's exactly what Steve McQueen is starting to do, especially when he directed 12 Years a Slave. Slavery is a revisited topic in the pages of history books and now films and rightfully so, a time that Americans or, well, the world wished ever existed. The ideas of humans being property, the idea of racism being acceptable, the idea of inhumanity being tolerated. 1903 saw one of the first films made called Uncle Tom's Cabin, made way back for the Edison Company. It only had 14 shots and eventually got remade a few times, but it focused on the difference and fortunes and cruel fates of this guy called Tom, the viciousness and reality of slavery from his owner. It took about 40 years for attention to be made about slavery since it was abolished in America in 1865 by President Abraham Lincoln. An interesting fact that I was reading on Google when I was researching this podcast or this episode was the first country to actually abolish slavery was in fact Haiti. At the time it was called Saint-Domonigo when it declared its independence from France in 1804 and became the first sovereign nation in history to abolish slavery in the modern era. 1804, America was only 61 years behind them. The film tells the story of a free man named Solomon Northcup, who was the son of a freed slave who by trade was an excellent violinist and gets tricked into playing for an event in Washington, D.C., but instead gets captured into the slave trade. Whilst protesting his innocence, he faces brutality and torture and becomes the property of several owners as a slave in the heat of America for 12 years. He was mainly reciting as a slave in Louisiana until he met a man one day towards the end of his 12 years called Samuel Bass, who was portrayed in the film by Brad Pitt. He got a lot of criticism, actually, in the film for briefly portraying a heroic character. Um But yeah, Samuel Bass was a random Canadian who was working on a plantation, and he helped get word out to New York, where state law provided help to free New York citizens who had been taken, kidnapped, or sold for slavery. It wasn't until after the book was published that Solomon actually realized that the two men that had lured him into Washington had actually drugged and kidnapped him. Solomon said that he thought that is what happened but wasn't sure and always doubted it. But a judge read his book and recognized the man he was talking about and they found out they used fake name aliases and they were all well known in the courts of law as famous con men at the time. It's a tragic end to a tragic story. Yes, Solomon does eventually get his freedom after 12 years. However, four years after he was freed, he simply disappeared. No one knows what happened to him. Even to this day, historians and family members do not know what happened to him, kind of like Amelia Earhart. The two men that were found and were held at trial for kidnapping and drugging Solomon, um, you know, the case lasted two years and nothing ever happened to them. They received no punishment. There was a lot of speculation on what actually happened to Solomon um, when he disappeared again after he was freed. Many believed he was enslaved again, but historians didn't think so because he was too old to be sold as a valuable slave. We'll just never know. But that's what's so great about history is things are left behind for us to find. And sometimes... They fall in the right hand, in this case, Steve McQueen's wife. The book was published on his first year of freedom, where it sold over 30,000 copies in three years. It actually became a bestseller. The film was an instant hit at the Academy Awards, nominated for nine Oscars, winning only three of them for Best Picture, uh, Best Supporting Actress and Best Screenplay. Steve McQueen was on the lookout, actually, way before, you know, this film even popped into his head to making a film based on slavery and simply couldn't muster anything together. It wasn't until his wife found Solomon Northcote's book, 12 Years a Slave, and introduced Steve to the book. And he was astonished. He'd never heard of it before, never knew anything about the history, never even heard the name. And he decided this was the next film and decided to adapt the book into the film and the rest, I guess, is history. I mean, the film was a huge success, ranking 205 on IMDb's top 250 greatest movies of all time, an 8.1 rating out of 10, and pushing stars to the limelight. I mean, Brad Pitt ended up winning his first Oscar, but it was only for producing. The introduction of very talented people like Lupita Neyong, who ended up winning an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, the first Oscar nomination for Michael Fassbender, amongst countless great performances, especially from the star of the film, Chueto Iggy Ford. This is also the first film to win Best Picture, Picture That was directed by a black director as well Which was a monumental milestone in the Academy And just American and British history Or any history to be fair I could go all geeky on you with the Oscars Since it's a personal interest of mine Second film in a row to win Best Film and Best Screenplay But not to win Best Director I mean the film to do that was actually Argo Which won the year before Only the fifth film to win Best Picture With a number in its title Now I'm getting really pedantic I wonder if you guys know the other four That's a challenge for you right there. I mean, the other random fact is that this film won only three Oscars, which is low, considering one of the Oscars was for Best Picture. Usually when a film wins Best Picture, it usually rakes up five or more other Oscars in the other categories, but not this one. Only 11 other films share this record with films of the likes of Casablanca, Godfather, Rocky and Midnight Cowboy. All of those I think I've done a podcast on besides Casablanca, so check them out. Not surprising, though, since the 2014 Oscars was ridiculously competitive, with nine films nominated for Best Picture, including Spike Jonze's Her, Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street, Nebraska, Captain Phillips, Philomena, Gravity, Dallas Bias Club and American Hustle. A big year for true stories of biopics. More than half of those movies are based on real life people. I mean, Chiwetel Ford was a monumental choice to play this role. He'd been, you know, playing supporting characters in movies for a long time, and this was sort of his big break. He was a favourite, actually, to win Best Actor... Um, you know it's the second this film was screened at festivals everyone was saying that Chiwetel Ejiofor was going to win Best Actor but it was a very competitive year the favourite for Best Actor actually flip-flopped around as the ceremony came closer I mean many thought Leo was going to win his first Oscar for Wolf of Wall Street and then Christian Bale's performance in American Hustle with that massive weight gain um He was also, you know, in the lead at some point. But the eventual winner was Matthew McConaughey's Amazing Transformation and Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, his performance narrowly beat the others. But nonetheless, Chiwetel four's performance in this as in Solomon North Cup is one of the best I've seen. You know, one for the books, a flawless performance. And I personally think he should have won it. I think the other actor that was nominated that year was Bruce Dern for Nebraska. So it was an extremely competitive year. An interesting thing about uh, Chuetto Ligiford, he actually turned down the role the first time it was offered to him. He wasn't sure if he was prepared or ready to play what he knew was going to be his most iconic role ever. Like I said, he was dipping his toes into supporting roles or side characters, but he'd never taken a film of this gravity, uh, you know, To and he knew it was going to be a big film. He knew it was going to take a lot from him to portray this character as best as he could. I mean... But Steve McQueen eventually talked him into it. It's like, it's going to be good for your career. It's about time. You can do this, blah, blah, blah. And he completely immersed himself in the role, staying in Louisiana, working at the plantations, learning how to play violin. I mean, he really transformed himself for the role. A lot of critics had to learn how to pronounce his name, of course, because this movie was going to be released during Oscar season and his performance, like I said, was being slated as a favorite to win Best Actor. So a lot of people, a lot of people interviewing him, a lot of people who were going to give him awards had to learn how to pronounce Chiwetel, Iggy Ford. I mean, it sounds easy to pronounce, but when you look at it on paper, it looks very complicated to pronounce. It's amazing how you see young actors build their way up in film, like Casey Affleck sort of did, and now he's a leading man. He won an Oscar for Manchester by the Sea, but then you look at him 10, 15 years ago, he's like a supporting role in Ocean's Eleven and Goodwill Hunting. It's amazing, you know, the journey these actors go through. But there was some controversy in Italy where the poster was only showing Fassbender and Brad Pitt and it was deemed as racist, but the Italians simply said, well, we wanted to sell the film and these actors are more well-known, you know, than Chiwetel Ligiford. But after the movie came out, I mean, Chi- Chiwetel Ligiford is now one of the biggest A-listers. I mean, it's, it's it's undeniable. I mean, Brad Pitt's literally in it for like a matter of minutes. Fassbender's not even in it for the first hour and a half. So it was very random for Italians to have them two actors, you know, streamline in the posters and not have Chuetta for there, but I do get their logic. I mean they're very big actors. But you know, speaking of Brad Pitts and Michael Fassbender, this is actually their third film together after Inglorious Bastards and the Counselor. It's also the third collaboration between Steve McQueen and Michael Fassbender after Hunger and Shame. In fact, this is the first film Steve McQueen has directed of the seven that he has that is not a one-word title like I said I told you I'm going to get pedantic with all of this I mean there are a lot of partnerships that are linked in this movie I mean Chueto Iggy Ford would go on and play alongside his co-star in this film in Doctor Strange with Benedict Cumberpatch. I mean there's so many links there I mean a few of the people in this movie are in the you know Marvel universe or even DC universe I mean I could go on and on to be honest because Chueto was also in Serenity with Sarah Paulson Paul Dana and Paul Giamatti would star in Love and Mercy and so many more I I mean, it's just a well-established cast that have crossed paths before. That's all it is. But if you strip away the reality of, you know, the Hollywood star prowess in this movie, there is a piece of art that depicts something that has happened in the world quite recently too. Now, I say quite recently, it's 150 years, but it's something that, you know, people's grandparents were alive to see. This is a wake-up call to the fact that slavery did exist. It unfortunately does exist in some parts of the world and there is still a delusional part of some parts of the world that still believe in this hierarchy or to be more inferior simply defined by race. Human slavery was a thing and this film does a great job in reminding people of the ruthlessness of this act that was once legal. Steve McQueen certainly does not hold back in telling this story in a very authentic way. He chooses not to hold back. He chooses not to sugarcoat the true realizations of what America once was. The slaves are degraded, made to suffer awful torments and are cruelly robbed of any physical, emotional dignity that remains. I mean, it is quite interesting, too, because not only does the slave suffer, but the masters, especially Epps, played by Michael Fassbender, is suffering, too. They are morally degraded. I mean, what the film is doing is giving evil a face. You're humanizing or personifying the word evil, a human face which was somehow a common practice. And we can look back and think about how far we've come, or better yet, how pathetic and ridiculous this was to be allowed to be legal. Twelve Years a Slave is a testimony to the power of the human spirit and the enduring determination of hope. Solomon Northup is deceived, kidnapped, abused, removed from family, deprived of identity, and beaten into a long, weary, unjustified submission. Yet, he is never broken. Even in his worst days of sorrow, lived under the cruelties of Edwin Epps, he never gives up hope that one day he will be free. He never loses faith in his friends, constantly assured that if he can only get word to the North that they will indeed come to his rescue. And that's exactly what happens right at the end. Solomon North heartbreaking journey uplifts because in his testimony is evidence that faith and hope can endure and triumph. I mean, there's a few difficult scenes in this movie that works to add the tension within the audience. I mean, the whipping scene, which was done all in one take over four minutes long. I mean, a couple of scenes in the movie with some really interestingly long takes to connote that desired effect. In reference to that whipping scene, I mean, Lupita Nyong said, it's all about the crack of the whip. You hear it and you feel it. She said, I felt the wind of it every single time. I didn't need much more. That was one technical thing, and it definitely took some fitness finessing because obviously I can't see what's happening. I can't see the whip. I can only react to the sound and the wind of it. So it was hard, but that day was as rare as it could have ever been possibly for Lupita Nyong because in preparing for it, all all she had to do we just be present. Other scenes that were particularly hard to watch was the rape scene, again with Lupita Neyong's character and Michael Fassbender's character Epps. According to Steve McQueen, Fassbender passed out in the whipping scene and was especially very nervous about portraying his rape scene with Lupita Neong Since he plays an alcoholic, he would actually go up to the makeup artist and tell her to spray alcohol on his fake mustache before filming. So all the actors could react to his stench as well. I mean, 12 years a slave is truly a home run in the realization and horror of what the real world was once like. I mean, it simply doesn't do anything but try and explore what happened 100 years to 150 years ago and how inhuman somehow we can be or even how inhuman the world can be. I mean, I was reading this article in The Atlantic and they say, it's a very interesting article about 12 Years a Slave and it says, at the beginning of 12 Years a Slave, the kidnapped Freeman Solomon Northcutt, played by Chiwetel Lidgeford, has a painful sexual encounter with an unnamed female slave in which she uses his hand to bring herself to orgasm before turning away in tears. I mean, The woman's desperation, Solomon's reserve and the fierce sadness of both is depicted with an unflinching still camera that documents a moment of human contact and bitter comfort in the face of slavery's systematic dehumanization. It seems like these in the film, surely that lead critic Susan Wachowski to state that watching 12 Years of Slaves makes you feel you have actually witnessed American slavery in all its appalling horror for the first time. And yet, for all it's worth, the encounter never happened. It appears nowhere in the autobiography. It is likely he would have been horrified at the suggestion that he was anything less than absolutely faithful to his wife. I mean, director Steve McQueen has said that he included the sexual encounter to just simply show a bit of tenderness. Then, uh, you know, after she climaxes, she's back in hell. The sequence is an effort to present nuance and psychological depth to make this film's depiction of slavery seem more real. But it creates that psychological truth by interpolating an incident that isn't factually true. And it's very interesting because the article article was actually named How Twelve Years a Slave Gets It Right by Getting It Wronged. And they talked specifically about that scene and the artistic choice made by Steve McQueen. I mean... The film, above all else, tells a story of survival and hope and it's something that shouldn't be deserted. I mean, most importantly, what Solomon does in this film is cling on to that glimmer of freedom and hope that one day he could be free, even through the 12 years of utter cruelty and despair. Another thing that Solomon mentions right at the start is the idea of not just surviving but to live. I mean, the idea that it could be easier to be free from this and to just kill himself knowing the world would be against his every move, but what comes out of his survival, not his life, is an inspiration to this book, to this film, and to many others to see how one person can hang on on for this sheer hope of living a life instead of just getting by. And that is somewhat relatable to everyday life, not to just survive or get by, but to get gold and to live each day towards it. Life is precious, life is short, but what people forget to do is simply live it, don't evaluate it don't count the days just live the days you have no you know there's no matter what is happening in your world and no matter how much you think the world is against you or against your goal to get in there you just have to keep living your life and getting there day by day and you know Solomon may not have known this was going to be an Oscar winning film or even a book but he made a book it didn 't even sell many thirty thousand, but it got in someone 's hand. It made its way somehow a hundred and fifty years later to an author's wife who gave her him inspiration to make this film and Here we are today talking about it a hundred and fifty years later and you know call it fate, call it whatever you want to believe luck, coincidence, but you know sometimes hope is you know hand in hand with coincidence, and there 's a reason why maybe you know, he held on because he wanted to make sure people heard his story, which I think is what I want to believe as well. But there you go. But anyways, I should stop babbling on about 12 Years a Slave, but it is an incredible movie and it was definitely worthy of the Oscar. I mean, I mean, that's all I have time for of it It is I, I do honestly believe it was worthy of the Oscar in 2014. A lot of people have this sort of antagonistic view about biopics winning films at Oscars and you know some yes I agree with but there are a lot of films that are based on true stories that I think are worth telling Clint Eastwood does a very good job of doing those I think the guy's 91 and he's still directed films based on uh, things that have happened a while that not many people have even heard about and t- to watch his films and realize, wow, this actually happened Then you Google it and it's amazing. I mean, the same thing goes for this as well. Uh, a lot of people have Googled Solomon Northup and seen what he's about and hopefully people will get his book and read it as well, but... Yeah, I'm glad um, the story was told to the world. But anyway, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. That's Film Exploration, A-H, or lowercase or one word. And you can uh, subscribe to me on iTunes, Google, Amazon, and Spotify as well. And leave a comment or a rating if you wish to. But once again, thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.